we're back in Ephesians. And I want you to, to look at the scripture. I, how many of you have ever just been overwhelmed by the timing of God? Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times I've just seen God do things and the, the dots begin to connect and you think, wow. So the scripture today in Ephesians chapter 2 is talking about Jesus Christ, who is our peacemaker. Now, I'm going to take us down a journey today. I hope you're willing to go along with me. Because when we talk about peacemaking, we're talking about reconciliation. We're talking about having relationships that honor and glorify God on every aspect. And so this scripture, beginning in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2, says, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised, or the uncircumcision, by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Now, how many of you know what circumcision is so I don't have to describe it for you? That's enough. Thank you. Okay. There was this huge divide between the Gentiles, those who were not circumcised, and the Jews, those who were circumcised. And so now, Paul, as he writes his different letters, he's addressing this issue among those who are now coming to a place of being together as the body of Christ. And you'll see how this spelled out in the scriptures as we go through it. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now that describes every person. That any person who is outside of God, who has never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, no matter who they are, no matter where they live, no matter what, that person is afar off, that person is away from God. And God is what? He's desperate for us to come to that intimate relationship with him. That's his heart. That's why Jesus came to Calvary, gave his life, was buried, rose again, went back to the Father so that all this could be provided for us. It's a gift. And that's why this scripture in Ephesians talks about the grace of God. We talked about last week. But now in, excuse me, now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What is it that got us to this place with him? The blood of Jesus Christ. By the way, how many of you through the week got up? This is just to check last week's message. Got up and said, thank you, God. I'm a masterpiece. Anybody? It's okay. So I had three people listening last week. <laughs> That's better than none, okay? So, so thank you. I appreciate that. I'm a masterpiece. And not only that, see, as we're do- going through the scripture, there's things you can add to your praise as you do your prayer time and your devotion in the morning. Not only am I a masterpiece created by God, but I am now, through the blood of Jesus Christ, brought even closer into his presence. It's my way in. You know, in the Old Testament, they were killing all the animals. That was their sacrifice, and that's how they would get to God. And Jesus was the final sacrifice. All those things were simply a foreshadowing of what was to come. And so here we are now. We're living in that time and that day. Can you not praise God? 
Praise God that we're in that time and that day where it's the blood of Christ that's been shed. And now we can be in that intimacy with him. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Or here are these two groups. Remember, Gentiles, Jews, and now the Spirit of God is moving upon both of those groups. They're coming together, and the conflict is over this. Do Gentiles have to become Jews to become Christian? And we'll go to the Scripture that answers that for you in just a moment. But abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Okay, let's do it this way. I'm okay with this. Let's see if you are. How many of you in this room right now are in any form of conflict with another person? Would you raise your hand? Be honest. Okay, thank you. We had more people in conflict than we did knowing what they were in Christ. Okay, never mind. Maybe that explains some things. He's the peace. And as I mentioned the other week, a quote that I'd gotten from Jim Cimbala, when he said, those who are unbelievers, and they look at the marriages of those who are believers who are not getting along, and they would have the question... (laughs) You mean God's not enough for you to have a relationship that honors him? Everybody knows what the rub is there, right? The rub is, it's my flesh. I want what I want. Because the reality is, when we're in Christ as we should be, then we die to self, sin, and Satan, and we only want what he wants. And when that's in a marriage or any relationship, Jesus is the one who establishes the peace. That he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by the having put to death that enmity, that difference between the two. What is he saying? He is saying, Jew, Gentile, the blood of Christ covers it all. And now God has brought them together, and they are one spiritual house. We are the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is to be exercised and living out and demonstrating the reality of God in every aspect of life. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, to the Gentiles, those far away, to the Jews who were close. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, this is where it gets really, really cool if you listen prayerfully to the application because the Scripture is not up there for the application. This issue of circumcision had to be settled for Christendom to advance across the world, it had to be resolved. And so there was a meeting called, called the Jerusalem Council in the book of Acts, chapter 15. And in that meeting, 
those who desire to express their view for or against circumcision were able to do so. Now, when they did that, and after everybody had expressed their view that wanted to express, I'm in Acts 15, verse 12. If you have your Bible, you have your device, whatever you might have. All the people kept silent. And they had been listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. It just, there's something so different about this meeting. I want you to catch it. After every view had been expressed, at that particular time in church history, the person who had risen as the leader of the New Testament church was a a guy by the name of James, who was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And in verse 13, after they had stopped speaking, James answered saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simon has related how God first concerned himself about taking uh, from among the Gentiles a people of his name. With this words of the prophets agree... Just as it is written. Now, I want you to pay attention now. There's this huge controversy. It's going to decide the fate of Christianity for the future to come. So they're having this meeting. They've expressed their views. And then the leader, James, says, let's pay attention to what's happening here. And let's relate it to what? To the word of God. Typically, when there's conflict in marriage... Conflict in any other relationship and conflict in general, two things are missing, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Because when those two things are present, things will be dramatically different in a very good way. So here's what he says from the Scripture. After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins. And I will restore it so the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. All the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. So even in the Old Testament, God was prophesying through his prophets that there's coming a day of reconciliation. There's coming a day when Jesus, who is the peacemaker, will absolutely bring peace between the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, that's James relating Scripture to the present context of the conflict. I want you to listen carefully to the response. He's finished saying that, relating the Scripture and the application of the Scripture to the situation. And in verse 19, here's what he says. This is one guy now, James, half-brother of Jesus, who is now the leader of the first century church. Therefore, he says, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from the Gentiles, but we write to them that they abstain from the things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from all the strangled meat with blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him saying he is read in the synagogue every Sabbath. Now he's saying, We're not going to put on those Gentiles the obligation of circumcision. We will say to them, based again on the word of God, 
that they're not to eat meat offered to idols because that was an issue. That was, that was uh, absolutely surrendering to idol worship. And remember, they believed that the life was in the blood, so you didn't eat the meat that had the blood in the meat. And they were to abstain from fornication. In other words, have a life of sexual purity. Now, all that is the discussion that's happened. Now, listen to verse 22. And it seemed good to all the apostles and the elders with the whole church. Did you get that? I'm going to give you some very specific application here in a little bit. Huge conflict. Circumcision, no circumcision. Resting on that decision was the future of Christianity. They related the word of God to the problem was there, that was there. And then James says, here's what I believe is the proper response to all this. Now, the reason that happened and the reason it could happen was because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's the only way. So now, let's go another way. This week, Roe versus Wade was struck down. There are people who are on both sides. I want to make it very clear from my perspective and the leadership of this church family we are not for abortion and we're celebrating the striking down of Roe versus Wade. Make that clear. So what's the two things that I mentioned and so why are we seeing so much turmoil now? Two things are missing. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. And that's why we're seeing all the mess we're seeing. So how then can we be responsible in this time of turmoil? Because not everybody you know is going to agree with what I just said. That's the reality of our world. Listening to different commentators through the week, one of the things that I heard that I thought was so good was for us to realize that in the school system in America, which, by the way, in 1933 accepted the Humanistic Manifesto as their their religion. Again, we have teachers here. We praise God we have teachers here. We have people who homeschool. We praise God we have people who homeschool. But the public school system in America has been indoctrinating a long time with a worldview that is not in accordance with this book. Okay? One of those areas is in the area of sanctity of life. Someone came to me last week, I think it was, or a week before, and said they were doing a service for a family who had lost a child through miscarriage. Would I have any recommendation for Scripture? Can anybody here guess what Scripture I recommended? Say it. Don't be shy. 
let me speak up because I've listened to the recording. Sometimes I get too quiet. What scripture would, okay, what scripture would you recommend for someone in that situation? What is it? Thank you very much. Psalms 139. Are you kidding me? The God who created life and who sustains life desires life. And the fact that we have now taken the lives of over 60 million babies since 1973. We mentioned in our video announcement about the coming event in August of Family Focus Weekend. Dr. Robert Jackson and his family will be here leading us in that weekend. Dr. Robert Jackson has been a a proponent of setting up pregnancy centers. He's actually um, been involved in that movement for years and years. And so I knew that he had done an interview on Focus on the Family some years ago. I went back and listened to it this weekend after this verdict was overturned or this decision was overturned. And here's what he said when he was asked by James Dobson on Focus on the Family, which obviously was a few years ago that this happened, this interview. He said, how did you respond when you were a medical student and Roe versus Wade came into effect? He says, the truth is I was oblivious to it. I didn't even realize what it meant. What it meant. He said, in fact, most evangelicals were really taken by surprise and really had no real response. The Catholics, on the other hand, responded quite well, but not so much us. He said, but as he became aware of what it meant, he was having a conversation with one of his colleagues who, when Roe versus Wade came into effect, this doctor that he was working with, his, his wife had been a nurse in a hospital in Chicago. And here's what he said. He said, after passing... Roe versus Wade, this nurse said that all their operating suites were booked solid for weeks, only for abortions. Said there was no gallbladders, no appendectomies. It was just taking the life of babies. Okay, call me old-fashioned, and I'm okay if you do. But I have a suggestion that could probably help us in this if we think about it. What if, I mean, I know this sounds extreme, but what if we quit having sex outside of marriage? So I'm speaking to every person in this room, married or unmarried. It could be huge. You say, what, what about all those people out there in their world? We're not doing any different than they are. We are different than they are. And we better be doing different than they are. Now, I understand that we may have women in this congregation who've had an abortion. And I've dealt with folks through the years. So please, don't think I'm up here doing the guilt and shame thing. Every person has to work through that if that's been the case for them with God's help, God's mercy, God's grace, and God's forgiveness. I mean, that's just reality. We can make this something amazing and wonderful. So that's, that's the big thing. So when people are sounding off about it, you can respond in love and grace and compassion, but still stick to what? Stick to the Word of God. But let's bring it down to a little closer. 
This is something that I read all the time, so sadly I don't always document where I found something. But I found this, and I thought this will really fit in. Remember, Jesus is our peacemaker, and he's the one that helps us with reconciliation. He's the one that wants us to have those relationships that are honoring and pleasing to him. He is the one who says in the scripture we've been reading today that he brought unity in the body of Christ by giving grace and peace and shedding of the blood and the giving of the Holy Spirit uh, to the Jews and the Gentiles. But let's just, let's just take it home for a minute, okay? So here's what I found. This is Psalms 89 verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. Let me read that again. Psalms 89 verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. Now this author gave an application and I have, <laughs> I've lived through this, so I'm, I, that's why I guess I captured it as I did. A husband said to me, I've had a lot of husbands say stuff to me. My wife is so fragile emotionally. I don't want to hurt her. So I keep all my feelings inside. But sometimes I feel like I'm going to explode. Do you think this husband is doing his wife a favor? His intentions may be good, but I think he's destroying his marriage. I, I can't tell you, sadly, how many times I've been involved in marriage counseling and one mate would say, I just can't tell the other one the truth. Now, remember truth and love. That's what it says here, unfailing love. And it's also in the, in the scripture, we give truth and love. We're going to get to that later. Psalms 89 mentions unfailing love and truth as two of God's most prominent characteristics. When truth is ignored, love is compromised. The Bible also says that we're to speak the truth in love and that doing so helps us grow more and more like Christ, as I said in Ephesians. Both of those points are important. Speak the truth, do it in a loving way. Again, can you imagine being in a marriage and you can't tell your mate the truth? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I suspect we have some of those. Remember, love edifies. Love builds up. Love seeks to do what is the best for the other person. Holding your frustrations, your hurts, and your pains inside is not good for your mate or your marriage. In fact, it's extremely unfair because it shuts him or her out. Your spouse cannot respond to your pain if he or she is not aware of it. If you're in this situation, listen up. You can do it this way. Honey, I love you very much. And I realize that I have been wrong and I've wronged you by not sharing this with you sooner. Now, some of you are sitting here and if you're in that situation, you're thinking, that's when the fireworks start. I know how that works. But I didn't want to hurt you. But I've realized that's no excuse. Please hear me. I'm not trying to put you down. I'm not trying to let you know how I've, I'm just trying to let you know how I feel. Then tell the truth about your emotions. 
Now your spouse has a chance to help. You might be surprised at the response. I realize that if there's been conflict in your marriage, that sometimes it's easier just to bury it and think that you're doing yourself and your spouse a favor. And I realize there's more perimeters of this than what this article gives because I've encountered some folks who are a little too sensitive than they ought. They're more sensitive than they ought to be. Just telling you the truth, okay? If you're one of those people that you wear your feelings on your sleeve, this is going to be really, really painful. But please, please, wouldn't it be wonderful if we would take Psalms 89, verse 14, that says the righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants, and we would make application of that in our lives, and then we would have Jesus the peacemaker. Look what it says. So then you're no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints in God's household, having been built on the foundation of of the apostles and the prophets. What is it saying? Go back to the word of God. Go back to the word of God. Allow the Holy Spirit of God to have his place in your life for his glory. Jesus Christ himself, he's the cornerstone in whom the whole built building being fitted together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Can you imagine, well, I hope you can imagine with me what that looks like when just those of us who know Christ, just those of us who are walking that out, living that out every day, reveal that to our world, and our world's not a huge place, but it's our world, and in doing so, it makes all the difference in the world, in our world, Because they get to see who God is, what he is up to, and how he does his work of grace in our lives. Because it all comes back to that. It's his grace. It's his love. It's his compassion. It's even his mercy at times. Because we have to have that as well. You with me? I'm kind of like Chris. You're a very enthusiastic crowd, but I'm okay with that, you know. <laughs> Let me give you an old phrase. We've used it numbers of times here as I close. If you have only the Word of God, you might dry up. If you have only the Spirit of God, it's possible that you would blow up. But when you have the Word of God and the Spirit of God in your life as it should be, that's when you will find that you grow up. Now, as we continue on in Ephesians, we're going to talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you would stand, we're going to sing. Praise him if you guys will come. I want to pray with us because we are told, according to the word of God, that we have received the Holy Spirit of God.
And that happened on the day of Pentecost, and that's why, and that was Acts chapter 2, that's why in Acts 15, the Holy Spirit's in charge of the church, and they could make such a decision and not have any dissension about what that was going to be going forward. So here we are, and most of us in this room are believers. If you're not a believer, we have folks at the end who will be down front. You're more than welcome to come and talk to us. We'll be more than happy to share with you the reality of Christ and what that means in your life daily. But if you're here and you're a believer, my question to you is, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Because let me tell you, before you answer that, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then we find ourselves what? With His fruit and His gifts being manifested in our lives every day. Kind of works like this, at least in my belief. When the Spirit of God is filling me, His fruit is right there readily available. Now, that doesn't mean that it's all being just poured out all the time, but as I walk through my day that God has given me, then as the opportunities present themselves, then that fruit will manifest itself in such a way that He is glorified. The same with the gifting. All the gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12... All the gifts of the Spirit are in my life. And as I walk through the day, as those are required, the Holy Spirit expresses that through my life. Now, the question is, why are we not all like that all the time? And the answer is, you got holes in your bucket. You leak. We all do. Okay, so that's not, I'm not picking on you guys. And that's why when it says to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it does so in the original language in the present continuous, present tense, which is the present continuous action, which means keep on being filled, keep on being filled, keep on being filled. So would you pray? Father God, in the name of Christ, I would right now ask you, Holy God, Holy Spirit of God, to absolutely fill us Holy Spirit, fill us now. And as you fill us, those things that need to be eradicated from our lives, those selfish, self-centered, fleshly thoughts, ideas, and actions, right now, eradicate those, remove them, fill us, manifest your fruit, manifest your spirit, manifest your gifting through us in such an amazing way that our world, our world that you placed us in, in this time in history, which is so incredible, that you get to touch those through us that we encounter in any circumstance, in any situation. And we give you praise for this. And we thank you, thank you, thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling us to overflowing. As Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, it's like rivers of living water gushing forth my innermost being and splashing on those around us. We thank you now in Christ's name. Amen.